This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. We are looking for ways to be healthier and happier and maybe make the planet healthier and happier too by wearing clothes longer, by washing clothes less frequently, using cold water to wash clothes. You see, these days, a lot of our clothes are filled with plastics and those plastics are now part of our ecosystem coming down in our rain. Fashionopolis author Dana Thomas is here to help. So you know we're going to cycle back to sewing machines in the house again, right? Maybe you already have one. That may be the way to go. And organic cotton, too. Okay, that's coming up. You're going to love Dana. You're really going to love her. But first, I sat down to talk to a doctor about animals. I did. I looked at the cover of the book, and I said, yeah, I got this walk in the park. The call came in from Dr. Aisha Akhtar. Then she opened my eyes and took my breath away. Thanks for having me, Casey. How did this book come about? So there is a, a personal and professional reason why it came about. So personally, um, when when I was a child, I was being uh, sexually abused by an uncle for many years. When I was nine years old, um, my grandparents who lived next door adopted Sylvester, who was a dog. He was the first animal I ever known, and I loved Sylvester. I fell absolutely in love with Sylvester. We were, you know, just the best of friends. Unfortunately, I came upon Sylvester also being abused. He was being slammed against the walls, punched and kicked by yet another uncle. And during that time, I was silent about my own abuse, and I I kept quiet about Sylvester's for a long time as well. Ultimately, though, you know, I think at some point I recognized the connection. At some level, I must have seen how his abuse was no, not really very different from mine in many respects, right? We're, we were both powerless. We were both vulnerable. And ultimately, it was my love and my empathy for Sylvester that gave me the courage to speak out and end his abuse. And that then all led to my having the courage to speak out and, and end my own abuse. So Sylvester, my empathy for Sylvester transformed my life in an amazing way. So now today, you know, I look back at that. I'm a neurologist today, and I really wanted to explore this idea of empathy for animals. Where does it come from? How is it changing? How does it affect the lives of all of us? How does it affect our well-being, not just as individuals, but collectively? Okay. Wow. I apologize. I, I was phoning it in. I thought, oh, our, our symphony with animals, and I'm going to talk to a nice lady about our, our relationship with animals. So you've caught me completely unaware. But, um, and I just want to bow down before you because I lead women's groups on trauma. So, so uh. Uh, you, you just knocked the legs right out from under me. And I'm telling you, I'm just honored to tell your story. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Wow, so I get it now. The picture on the cover is 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 um you and Sylvester based you know, that's a depictation of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I am having a day here, Aisha. I am having <laughs> a day. I'm telling you, it's wonderful to talk to you. 
I don't know if you believe in angels, but there's a part of me when you were telling that story that thought that dog was sent to you from on high. That beautiful dog was sent to you from on high. Um, did it? Did you? You were? You, were you aware of the gift at the time? I was. I it, not not knowing exactly how that gift would come about in in the end, but I Sylvester was a gift. You know, he just. Oh my God, I loved Sylvester, and he loved me. You know, we my grandparents lived next door, and I don't think there was a day when I was not with Sylvester. He not only changed my life in in the way that he taught me the courage to end our both of our abuses, but he also opened up the world of animals to me. So in many ways, he helped me escape from my own problems, uh, my own traumas, and see the world of animals and enjoy that pure pleasure of being around animals and and learning about them. And since then, I've always had animals in my life. I've always sought out animals, whether they're in the wild or or not. So I grew up rescuing animals who were injured, and my mom would drive us to the emergency animal hospital. I tried, you know, I was saving orphan birds. So Sylvester gifted me in so many different ways. Right, because as you help heal, you heal yourself. Exactly. I want to get back to some of the other people in the book, some of the people who whose lives are intertwined intertwined with uh, beautiful animals. But I want to ask you just this one question. Who was the first person you spoke out to about your abuse? It was actually to the, uh, the, the uncle who was abusing me. I stood up to him. At how old? At, I was nine years old. This was five years into the abuse. Well, and now we just want to shout out to the world that you are a double board certified doctor in both neurology and preventative medicine and the deputy of the U.S. Army's Traumatic Brain Injury Program. You've come far. You've come far. And God bless for all the healing that has taken place. Now, tell us about some of the people in this book and how their lives were healed. One of the um, folks I, I interview is a Marine veteran who had severe PTSD, so severe. His, his marriage was on the brink. He was verbally abusive to his family, um, and he had tried everything, everything out there, um, every type of therapy, and nothing worked until, as a last-ditch effort, he decided to try this program with Canines for Warriors in which they adopt dogs from shelters, which is really nice because they're saving the dogs. And um, they trained them to be um, to work with uh, to, to work with veterans who have PTSD. And this one dog just transformed this veteran's life. And I know we we you know we hear about this more and more. And you know he was just one example. And there's a a, a mobster who James Giuliani, who he's a character to me. He was a mobster. He worked for the Gambino family, and he lives in Brooklyn. And he lived a life of violence. He was a raging alcohol and drug addict. He was lived a life of just pure selfishness, just looking for pleasure in life for himself. And he had he had never cared about animals. He never grew up thinking about animals. He thought they were dirty, had no interest in them, until one day he came upon an abused dog. And there was a moment when, when he picked up the dog and, you know, he was so angry at anyone who could abuse a dog and any animal like this and then the dog licked his face Ugh. and he just said I can't believe that a human 
uh, so badly treated this dog, and yet he still could feel this kindness towards me, towards another human, me. And that transformed James's life. He gave up alcohol. He gave up drugs. He is now, he's been drug and alcohol free for, for I, I think, now 10 years. And he has transformed his life now. He, he now devotes his life to rescuing animals. He just, you know, his life now has meaning and purpose, and he's so much better for it. So there are other stories like that that are just so profound. One of the things that I find um, when I talk with people is that animals touch them in a way that's very unique. You know, they're, they're not human beings, right? Right. And thank God for that, because they don't cause the stresses that other human beings, even people, humans that we love, but they can cause us a lot of stresses in our lives, too. Animals help us step away from these human-generated pressures in our lives and our human-centric lives, and they do help everyone to see the larger picture of the world around us and, and to, to step beyond the, the disappointments and the cruelties and the hardships they face. I've seen that theme again and again with so many of these people whose lives have been transformed with animals. The book is called Our Symphony with Animals on on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destinies. Aisha Akhtar, MD, is the author, and she joins us today. While you're talking, while I'm hearing these stories, I want to ask you, are you a vegetarian? I am, yeah. I was not. So my family were from Pakistan. Pakistanis are not vegetarians by nature, so we, we were... Um, definitely eating meat. My dad actually went out and participated in some slaughters and lambs when I was young. When I was in high school, we started learning about some of the things, how animals were treated in farms, and it opened up our eyes because my family, we had cats. I've always had animals in my lives after Sylvester, and we started to realize that oh my God, we love our cats so much. And we saw that these other animals really weren't that different. You know, pigs, they're, they're all emotional beings. They all care about, you know, they're young. They, they can enjoy things in life. They can experience pleasure and they can experience loneliness and grief. And so actually as a family, we decided to become vegetarian and later vegan together. As a family? Yeah, Amazing. You have an amazing life. I want to see the movie. I really do. <laughs> I want a movie made of your life. What are your days like now with your different, uh, with all the different hats you wear? Yeah, so, you know, I say by day I'm a human health advocate where I'm working on my day job trying to promote human health. And by night I'm an animal advocate where, you know, I put on my cape and try to, you know, show why kindness to animals is not only good for animals, but also good for us. My days are, are actually pretty busy. I do artwork. I make terrific cocktails, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to cook and eat and, uh, you know, just enjoy the garden and my home life with my husband. Beautiful. And your ornery feline silos. My ornery feline silos, yeah. My sweet boy. Where can we go for more information about this? Aisha Akhtar, A-Y-S-H-A, Akhtar, A-K-H-T-A-R.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. And the book is available anywhere where the books are sold. Aisha Akhtar, what an amazing and strong and kind person. The book, which I have since spent more time with, Our Symphony with Animals on Health, Empathy, and Our Shared Destiny, is amazing. Animals. Our new therapists. Great pictures here, too, with some of the people the animals have helped. I'm happy to share the book with you if you email from the website casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Hi, 
I'm Casey. This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. Let it shine. The philanthropic organization that grew out of this show is having its kickoff party this weekend. Thank God, because all I do is cry. Happy cry, mostly. Stress cry a little bit. (laughs) We are going to be gathering love and giving it away, and you can find out more at gatheringlove.org. Gatheringlove.org. Also, please join a circle of women on Facebook. Okay, do you wash your clothes a lot? Do you change your wardrobe out a lot? Do you buy disposable clothes? Here's another area where we can get healthier and happier, cleaner and greener in our closets. Dana Thomas is the author of Fashionopolis. What happened in our culture was the price of clothes have never been so cheap and they've never been so available. And they're just out there in our face being advertised and we're being told by influencers and by Hollywood that you just should always have a new look. And we can afford that new look, so we buy the new look. And we stopped investing and cherishing our clothes and burning through them. Burning through them. What are we doing? Are we filling the landfills? We're filling the landfills. A hundred billion garments are made every year. One hundred billion. One hundred billion. We buy about 80 billion. At least 20 billion that just never even see the factory or the retail floor because of the economies of scale. They're overproduced to try to save money. But in the long run, it costs us, the cost is enormous. So that already gets destroyed somehow whether it's burned, shredded, or put in landfill. Then of the 80 billion that we do wear, 99% are thrown away. We only recycle 1%. So it's kind of, you know, we're a wash in clothes and we're and our landfills are heaving and we don't know what to do with them. I mean, think about closets back before the war in New York City, those, or in any major city. You buy an old house and it's got a really small closet and they used to have big clothes, remember? Right. Big coats and bustles and everything. And that was the size of their closet or they had a wardrobe, but it wasn't that big. Now we have walk-in closets. Why do we have walk-in closets? Because we have so many clothes. So, I mean, I'm even thinking now, um, babies. Babies used to wear just, you know, two or three things for this stage of life and that stage of life. Now, babies change their parents, change their babies' outfits two and three times a day to post on Instagram. I'm surprised about a couple of things. I'm surprised that 20 billion things never get out of the factory. Like, that's weird. Just because there's no market to take them? Right. And oh, they get out of the factory, and then they just sit in a warehouse. They sit they in a sit, warehouse. They sit somewhere, and then they get destroyed. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Because it's cheaper to make 100 of something than it is to make 80. So they make 100, and then they toss 20. And w- why why can't we have, like we have in the food recovery business, where there's people ah. recovering food, why aren't we recovering clothes and well, sending it to where the French they need government, to go? The French government's actually passed a law that they're going to enforce that. The French are being really progressive on this. I'm lucky. I live in Paris, and I'm seeing this happen from not being terribly aware to being the most aware. I mean, President Macron put forth this pact for the environment during the G7 summit and 200 companies have signed on saying they, they're, they're game to do this. And, and there is a law that's going to be put in place for the food, like the food law where you can't throw away clothes. It has to be somehow repurposed, recycled, given away, you know, not just thrown away. Um, it'd be nice if we could, we could do all that, but we have to change different things. Like if we're going to put something in a landfill, wouldn't it be better if it were organic, like organic cotton? Then yeah. we could cotton compost it in 
instead of using GMO cotton that's been infused with chemicals, that we need to sort of wean ourselves off of polyester if we can, because it's releasing microfibers into our water system, which are in the fish which we're eating. And it's now, I read last week, it's raining microfibers, plastic microfibers in in the Rocky Mountains. So you can have, you know, an organic garden in Boulder, Colorado, but it's covered in plastic. Wow. We found microfibers in the Arctic and Antarctic, you know, ice. This is a big mess. So we have to wean ourselves off of polyester. And you go, how can we? Well, polyester has only been around for 60 or 70 years. It was invented, well, I guess 80. It was invented in the 1930s by DuPont. The science behind it was created in DuPont in the 1930s. And it was really put in production during the war as a replacement for silk, which was needed for parachutes and thread. So, you know, we have to come up with something else that's better for us, or maybe go back to the old way. Go back to pre-industrial revolution and pre-science and take some of those old things, but then figure out how to do it well in this digital age and make old new again. And what would that look like? Well, I think it would look like, you know, organic cotton. And we go back to the, you know, the four great fibers, cotton, flax, wool, and silk. We would buy less, buy well. Don't buy 10 things for $10 a piece, but buy one thing at $100 a piece. Keep it longer, wear it longer. The average garment today is worn seven times before it's thrown away. And in China, I've heard it's three times. And in part, that's because of the influencers telling us that you shouldn't wear something more once or twice. That Cinderella syndrome, we call it, where you wear it and then you toss it. I love Kate Middleton and and Meghan Markle because they've made it cool to wear things over again and over again. They have the... we call the royal rewear, where they keep trotting out the same thing and they just wear it a different way or dress it up and it's a couple seasons old. They're saying, it, I love my clothes. It's cool to keep them and keep wearing them. Why should I get rid of this? This is a good coat. I'm going to keep wearing it. And I love that they're putting value back into clothes again for us and making That's it great. chic and sexy. Yeah. You know, I have I have clothes that are old enough to vote and I don't care. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. Uh, my daughter's wearing my old jeans. Wonderful. Wonderful. So plastic... Uh, in our fiber, polyester fiber needs to go the way of the plastic bags. It's 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 probably and the plastic straw and the plastic straw because look it's, how quickly we yeah. got rid of plastic straws. I think we could do it if we put our mind to it. Yeah, and, but I'm thinking of all the sportswear. My husband is a hockey coach, and all of his sportswear is polyester. We thought fleece was the greatest thing because it was taking those bottles and and recycling them. But it turns out that fleece was just, you know, it's still plastic. I know it's it's a tricky thing. I think we will come up with cool fibers that are better for the for the environment. And I'm sure companies like Nike are on this. They have a whole department of sustainability that's one of the most important and strongest and and forward thinking in the business. So I'm sure they're going to come up with ideas and solutions so that we wean ourselves off of polyester, which is petroleum-based, and we don't have to keep pumping oil out of the ground in order to make clothes. Wow. Another thing you said that surprised me is only 1% of clothes get recycled. I guess it's how you're raised or maybe where you're from. But I never throw any of my clothes out unless it's a sock with a hole in it. Everything goes to the Goodwill bin out on the road. But even the Goodwill bin is overwhelmed by by our clothes. Africa, we've been shipping them to Africa, and Africa said, we don't want your old clothes anymore because it's decimated their their local businesses, you know, the local tailors and the women who made boo-boos. And now everyone's wearing, you know, old redskin t-shirts. So, <laughs> you know, they don't want our clothes either. And a pack, a big pack 
respective countries joined together and and told the United States, stop sending us your clothes. We're not going to take them anymore. And the Trump administration kicked off a, a tariff war with them to force them to take these old clothes. One country resisted Rwanda, and they're paying dearly for it. I mean, the Trump administration is beating up on Rwanda because it won't take our old used clothes. All right. Dana Thomas, <laughs> author of Gods and Kings and the New York Times bestseller Deluxe. Now we are on this uh, fashionopolis, the price of fashion and the future of clothes. Tell us what to do. Everyone's listening, saying, okay, I'm part of this. I'm part of the problem. Tell me what to do. So go ahead. Tell well, there us are a few little things you can do that will just already make a huge difference. The man from Procter & Gamble, the man who wants us to wash our clothes, right? He says, wash your clothes less. He says, wash them on a short cycle, wash them with cold water. Already not heating the water and using less water with a short cycle lengthens the, the life of your clothes because you're not cooking them and beating them up. And it's using less energy to heat the water and run the machine. That will already have a gigantic impact. It also releases less microfibers because if you wash it in hot water, polyester, it warms up the fabric, it releases the fibers. And if you wash it longer, you release more fibers. So if you wash cold, short cycle, that's a win-win for everybody. The CEO of Levi's says, it, ideally, you should never wash your jeans. Now, pardon? I mean, <laughs> pardon me? there are times that, you know, your jeans could walk on their own. But when it gets to that point, yes, wash them. But you don't have to wash them after one wear. You can wear them a lot. You can wear them a lot. And then when they start sort of taking on a life of their own, throw them in the wash. And wash them on the short cycle because that, that machine does break down your denim in a right. way that's, that gives it a shorter life. You want to give your clothes a longer life. Wear them longer, repair them. Somebody told me the other day, you know, when you spill tea or coffee on your shirt or you spill a glass of red wine, then go dunk it in the red wine or go, you know, dunk it in the tea. But don't throw it away and say, oh, it's ruined. It's just going to be a different color. I was like, oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. We can do that or we can, if you've grown tired of something, when we have mismatched socks at home, we tie dye them all. So then they never match, but they look really cool. <laughs> so, you know, there's loads of, loads of cool ways that you can give more length of life to your clothes and then we have to just cherish them and appreciate them more. It's better to buy one thing for $100 and 10 things for 10 that you're going to just throw away in a, in a short time. Let's not wear things seven times and then and then move on. Let's keep them around in our lives for a long time and really cherish them. I'm with you. Where can we go for more information about this topic? Well, I hope you'll read the book. And then there's there's plenty of websites and there's lots of NGOs that are on this. Even the UN is is working on this subject. It's all over the place. If you want to know more about your clothes, you can Google and find out. If you want to learn about cool companies that are doing good works, there's things like the Sustainable Apparel Coalition out in San Francisco who, or Positive Luxury in London who have websites and will tell you the impact of a certain brand's clothes on the environment or on humanity. You can also just look at the label. If it tells you it's made in Cambodia, you should raise your eyebrow. Cambodia has a terrible human rights record with their workers, and it's not a good place. And people say these jobs are lifting people out of poverty. They're not. I've been to those factories. I've been to Southeast Asia. Okay, they're lifting them from extreme poverty to poverty, but it's still poverty. You can't get out of poverty if you're only earning $68 a month. So pay for your clothes and then invest in them and love them and, and take care of them, and you'll and we'll all be doing a better, better for humanity and the planet. All right, Dana, Thomas, I have to ask, with your beautiful voice in Paris, what are you wearing? Ah, I am wearing today 
I'm not going to give you the sexy answer, but I'll tell you what I'm really wearing, which is um, I'm wearing a cotton, a 100% organic cotton navy blue dress from Alabama Channon of Florence, Alabama, that was made to measure, made to order, and direct to consumer. You can order it online, and they'll make it and send it directly to you. Made by a local woman in Alabama, and a cashmere cardigan that I bought at the Hoik factory in Scotland, one of the old cashmere factories that's still in business and I've had it probably 15 years and it's still fantastic. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to Chico's today. I hope I can find something 100% cotton. Absolutely. Look at Alabama Channon. It's pretty great. Will do. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Anytime. That's Dana Thomas. She also wrote of Gods and Kings and the New York Times bestseller Deluxe. Dana is a regular contributor to the New York Times style section. Happy to share my copy of Fashionopolis. Email me from the website casey.co. So our thought for the day is in honor of my husband, Mike, the hippie. He put up with at least three full-fledged freakouts and several nights of whining and tears as I tried to give birth to what is now Let It Shine, Inc. Let It Shine, Inc. will be gathering love and giving it away. For Mike, from the Grateful Dead song, Ripple, our thought for the day. Reach out if your cup be empty. If your cup is full, may it be again. Let it be known that there is a fountain that was not made by the hands of man. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.